Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim and I am the host of this program. There are so many upsetting events you can come across the news these days. There are natural disasters here and there that have caused many people to die. And you constantly hear about the death of many Christians in the Middle East. Korea is constantly on alert for a war breakout, and now you hear about all the terrorist attacks happening all over the world. This world is changing at a very rapid pace. Society is so corrupt, sometimes I think it would be better if Jesus hurried up and came. I often think that this is maybe some of the thoughts that the disciples had 2,000 years ago. Jesus resurrected three days after dying on the cross. He spent 40 days with his disciples and ascended into heaven. Before his ascension, the disciples asked Jesus in Acts chapter 1, Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? The disciples thought that the time was near that God would restore Israel and the persecutions of the Romans would finally come to an end. But Jesus replies back in verse 7 and says this, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But here's the important part of this message. Jesus tells the disciples that they will be witnesses. The definition of the word witness, defined by the dictionary, says it is a person who sees an event. But what is the witness that Jesus was referring to? A witness is someone who sees and knows the truth in which others do not know. They also have the obligation to make sure that the truth is revealed exactly how it is. However, this isn't always easy, because sometimes Revealing the truth may put someone in a dangerous situation, and sometimes some people may even have to pay the price of their own lives to reveal the truth. If the witness provides a false testimony, there will certainly be consequences to follow. When Jesus asked the disciples to become witnesses of him, I don't suppose that was the easiest task.
A witness is a person that not only has to provide the truth in which they have experienced, but also is a person who may have to risk their life in order to reveal the truth. Jesus told his disciples to become witnesses of him before ascending into heaven. But were his disciples people who were able to risk their lives to do this? They did leave behind everything they had to follow him for three years. But the day that Jesus was captured, they were frightened and ran away. Peter even denied him three times. But Jesus resurrected from the grave and went to find the disciples. It says in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, He presented himself alive to them after a suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. But Jesus knew that the disciples were not capable in managing this. That is why before he said this to them, he promises to them he would send them the Holy Spirit. Here are the scriptures of Acts chapter 1 verse 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. On the day of the Pentecost, there were 120 people, including the disciples who received the Holy Spirit. They were witnesses of Jesus and boldly went out to spread the gospel. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. These are the very scriptures of Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through 32. The disciples received the command to become witnesses of Jesus. Now they boldly go out to the world to spread the gospel and follow the ways in which Jesus led before them. How did they end their lives? Peter was hung upside down on the cross. John was thrown into boiling water. And Thomas went all the way to India and sacrificed his life. As Jesus was captured and taken away, the disciples were drowned in fear. But how did they change so greatly to live lives as martyrs? If they were not able to see the resurrected Jesus, were not able to see what the truth was, were not able to realize there was an eternal life given, they probably would not have been able to take a road to the ends of the earth. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, this would have been impossible to happen. We also can live as his witnesses with the help of the power of Jesus. So Jesus tells us how we shall live our lives. Here are the verses of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth.
Up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is Humility, Part 1, based on the scriptures of Numbers Chapter 12. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Francis. This week I wanted to preach a passage that,、uh, that I've been thinking about for the last couple weeks, and I think it fits so well、um, with what we just talked about with Ron and with the elders. It's, it's, the, it's in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament.、Okay, here's a story that I've always liked. Numbers chapter 12. It's about Moses, okay? And it's a story where Miriam and Aaron start saying negative things about Moses. God gets angry and he strikes Miriam with leprosy. Now, I've always liked that story because I thought, Okay, go ahead, talk behind my back, see what happens. You know, I, I've always, you know, thought, oh, what a cool passage. Like, I always liked that one. My favorite was always Elisha, that story where he's walking and these, these kids,、um, I mean, he's a prophet of God, and these kids go, hey, you bald head, you bald head. And then God has these bears come out and maul the kids. So I, I've always liked passages like that, like, okay, God protects his servants, you know, and, and it was just like a childish, immature liking of those passages. But as I, I've looked at this passage more, man, it is such a beautiful passage because in it, you'll see something about the relationship, the intimacy that God himself could have with a human being, that God had with Moses. And how no one was going to hurt his Moses. It's just so beautiful that the more I looked at it, it's like, God, I would love to have a relationship with you like that. 
And I, I hope you leave with that mindset that you read about the way God spoke about Moses and that it would be the desire of your heart that you would go, God, I want to be like that. I want you to think of me that way. But there were specific things about Moses' life that led to God thinking of him that way. You, you look at Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. It starts off saying, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he married a Cushite. Now, let me explain that real quick. Okay, Moses, you got Moses. You guys all heard of Moses, Prince of Egypt. Okay, Aaron, remember Aaron was the one that when God called Moses, he goes, oh, I don't speak well. Can I bring my big brother Aaron? He's a better speaker. Aaron eventually becomes the first high priest of Israel. Miriam is Moses' big sister. Okay, and Miriam becomes the prophetess of all of the women of Israel. So these are two very high positions, the highest positions you can get outside of Moses being the overall leader himself. So you've got Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And Aaron and Miriam start talking. Now, Miriam is the one that instigates this. And we know this because the verb is in the feminine. So it seems like she instigates it and Aaron just kind of goes along with it. And also we know this because her name is mentioned first and also she's the one that gets struck with leprosy. But Aaron, they start talking about how he married this Cushite wife. Now, there's nothing wrong with marrying this, this woman. God did not forbid them to marry from these people. He did forbid them to marry from the Canaanites because they were so evil. But he didn't say anything about the Cushites. You know, so, so they're talking negatively about uh, Moses marrying this woman. And it could be, some scholars suggest that uh, this is probably after his wife Zipporah died. And, uh, and then he marries this Cushite. And it could be that Miriam gets jealous because she's the prophetess over all of the women of Israel. So now suddenly this other woman comes into the mix. Moses is, uh, you know, she's kind of like the first lady in a sense. And it's like, okay, maybe some of that was going on. But basically there was no reason why they should have been uh, talking about that issue. I believe the real issue is in verse 2. Because uh, she says, or one of them says, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. You see that? So that, there's the real issue. Is they're just gossiping. They're just talking about Moses. But the issue is, is who set him up to be the leader of all these people? Why does he get all of the glory? Doesn't God speak through us also? I mean, I'm the high priest i put on that urim the thuman you know god speaks through me i'm i'm the prophetess i'm over i mean god speaks directly through me i i hear him in visions and this is i mean the, these people are are pretty powerful and they're like well, well why is he getting all the glory in a sense i mean doesn't god speak through us and who's this wife that he married who's this kush you know and you know i point out that she instigated this because i think it reveals something to us about aaron because uh, Aaron just kind of went with the flow. And he just gave in to the pressure. She's talking negatively about Moses. Okay, I'll talk about Moses. Because remember another time in Aaron's life when he just kind of gave in? The golden calf? Remember that? When all the people were like, hey, Moses hasn't been down the hill. You know, he's up on the mountain. Why don't you make us an idol? Okay. You know, and so he just goes and he makes that golden calf. And and he just got, you know, it's just this, uh, I don't know that you can build a whole lot out of that. But I just go, you know what? There he goes again. You know, and he's he's joining in with this gossip. But it says the Lord heard this. Isn't that crazy? The Lord heard those two talking. And then verse three is so beautiful. Now, Moses was a very humble man. 
more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. See, when I think about Moses, I think about this powerful leader, right? He was just the leader of Israel. But the thing that made him so great was he was the most humble man on the planet. Do you strive for that? See, I don't think about this enough. I realize that when I say this. I do not pursue humility as much as I ought. I don't treasure it like I should. I mean, is it your goal to be the most humble? This morning when I was in the lobby and just looking at people's faces and praying for people and thinking about people and just... The thought, the concern came to my mind. I, I wonder how many of you really look at a passage like this and go, I want that. I want to be the most humble person on the planet. Or do you read it and go, well, that's cool for Moses. I'm good with about this level. I think that most people have a certain level of spirituality that they're okay with. And once they get to that level, they're good. If they slip below it, you know, they're a little disappointed in themselves. But they don't feel this real sense to, I want to be the most humble man on the planet. I want to be the most humble woman on this planet. I want to be so right before God. And that should concern us when we don't want everything that God has to offer. Like all of it. I feel like a lot of people just want a little piece of God, just enough of God. But Moses, he wanted it all, and he was the most humble man on earth. And then here, let me just read a chunk of the story. Verse 4. At once, the Lord said to Moses, so after their gossiping, you know, the Lord says to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Okay, that's a bad day. You know... When God goes, I got to talk to you. Get, get, get out of here. So three of them came out. Verse five. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. That's crazy. Man, but don't you love... Isn't it just beautiful the way God talks about Moses? Uh, that's what I just so grew to appreciate over these last couple of weeks, where God, I mean, here what he's saying, he says, he goes, you understand what I do for prophets? He goes, when there's a prophet, he goes, I'll actually give him a vision or a dream, or I'll, I'll may, I may even say a few words to him, because that's a prophet of God. But then he goes, but with Moses, it's different. He's on another level with me. He's not just a prophet. He goes, with him, we actually have conversation. He goes, I actually talk, like I'll say something to Moses, not in a riddle or anything else, but just like face to face, like you would talk to someone. He goes, that's the way I talk to Moses. I will say something and then he'll respond. And then I'll respond back. We actually talk. I actually talk with a human being. Just one. But I talk to him. He's not like the prophets. I mean, the prophets are great. And I'll give them dreams, I'll give them visions, and I'll communicate to them. He goes, but do you understand the relationship I have with Moses? He says, he is faithful over all my house. He is the most faithful person. 
in all of Israel. He's the most humble man on this planet. And he and I converse, he and I talk. We are so close. And then you dare speak against him? Are you crazy? You see the relationship that Moses and I have. And you dare speak against him. And it says the Lord's anger just burned against them. And then he just left. You see, I bring this up because I don't think we take gossip that seriously. We think, yeah, no big deal. You just bash some leadership. You know, everyone does that. And God says, no, 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 no. Not, not, with, not with my servants. You don't do that. Even bringing the elders up here is, is for you to understand. I'm not saying that they're, like I, like I said, I, I'm not saying that they're special in and of themselves for any reason other than, you know what, God put them in this position. And there needs to be a sense of respect and reverence for that position. And Miriam and Aaron didn't have that. And they just, they just talked about Moses. But, uh, you know, let's, let's read on. Verse 10. It says, when the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam leprous like snow. Aaron turned to her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we've so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, oh, God, please heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until she was brought back. So after God left, angry, Aaron looks at Miriam and sees that she's got leprosy. Leprosy is like a, a deadening of your body, like, like your body parts. The skin would literally die. Your nerves don't feel anything anymore. Um, and he compares it to a stillborn infant that's already deteriorated within the womb and comes out. And Oh, look at her. She's, and, and, and what does Aaron do? He looks to Moses, says, Moses, help her. Moses, don't hold the sin against her. And what does Moses do? Moses immediately prays to God and go, God, heal her. God, don't punish her for what she did to me. See, that's humility. I mean, if someone speaks negatively about you and then God punishes them, it feels pretty good, doesn't it? You know, I mean, let's admit it. I mean, that's why I used to love this passage. I thought, ha, that's so cool, you know. But Moses had this humility and just he just he just cared about her. It's like, God, don't, don't do that to her. You know, forgive her. So she said some things about me. Just, just please forgive her. And God says, you know what? She disgraced you. And so, you know what? Have her stay outside of the camp. I don't, I don't, I don't want her in here. Just have her out for seven days. Okay, let her feel the disgrace of what she's done. Let her be with the lepers outside the city gates for seven days. And then I'll heal her and you can bring her back. <laughs> it's a... It's a it's a beautiful story. I mean, it's it's a powerful story. It's a crazy story. You know, it's one that sometimes we overlook. But there's a couple of things that that are in there that I think we need to really get. One is we need to we need to fear leadership. We do in a couple of senses. One in the sense of we need to fear taking positions of leadership. Miriam and Aaron had very high positions, and I believe that's why God judged them more harshly too. 
Because the Bible says you're supposed to do that for those who have high positions within the church. You know how a couple of weeks ago we said, hey, if, if someone sins, it's your job to go to them in private and to confront them in private. And if they repent, then great, you know, you know, and if not, then you bring a couple of witnesses with you. And if they repent, then then great. If not, then you make it public. And if they repent, then great. You know, if not, then you got to get them out of the church. Well, with leaders, the rules are different. The Bible says that if there's a leader in First Timothy chapter five, verse 20, it says that, that, see, those elders we brought in front here, the rules are a little bit different for them because if one of them does something that disqualifies them from ministry, absolutely, we confront it and uh, they're forgiven. But the Bible says that you're supposed to rebuke them publicly. There's a sense in which, you know what, when you sign up for that leadership position, that's a high position. And so, therefore, you need to understand when you fall, it affects everyone, so everyone needs to know. So it's, 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 it's not something where, because naturally, okay, like in the workplace, like whenever I worked any, any job, I always wanted to get the next position, right? And you just strive for the next thing. It's like, you know what, I'm smarter than him, I'm gonna take his position. You know, and you just keep rising up the chain. In the same way in church, we can start having that same mentality and not realize, you know what, there's, there's a little difference here. There's a, the stakes are a little higher, and also James chapter 3, Verse 1, which we looked at several several months ago, where it says, not many of you should become teachers, because as teachers, you'll be judged more strictly. You guys, I, these those types of verses, I mean, even after preaching this last night, I was thinking about it all night. I was thinking about this morning, like, God, you know, I do not want to do what I'm doing in the sense of who wants to be judged more strictly by God? Anyone? Anyone go, you know, I know you judge everyone a certain way, but, but have higher standards for me. You know, judge every word that comes out of my mouth. Who would want that? And just again, saying, God, God, this is certainly not something I want. But I believe you've called me to it. And it'd be worse for me to run from it. But to take that position in a, in a, with a, with a sense of fear. And I think as different ones of you continue to counsel and teach and, and you need to take those positions because God's, Look, I'm not running from it because that would be worse for me. In the same way, I don't want it to scare you out of teaching because if God's called you to do it, the worst thing you can do is not do it. But at the same time, there also needs to be a sense of fear and a sense of accountability of going, you know what, Lord? People are looking at me as a leader. And also, you say you're going to judge me more strictly, so change me, Lord. I need you. But, but the other thing when I say fear leadership, I mean literally have some reverence for the people that are in those positions. Because they're in the positions because God placed them there. So whether you agree or you think you're wiser, you have better ideas, or you think, well, God speaks through me also, you know what, just be careful because God placed them in these positions. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 1, it says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And this is referring to more than just the elders of the church. It's just talking about governing authorities. Like, I am supposed to respect whoever is the mayor, the governor, the president. Not because I necessarily think that, uh, that they're these perfect people and that they're godly people or they're making all the right decisions. But, but the fact is, is they're there and God is using them in that position. 
And so my job is to respect them, to submit myself to them and understand, you know what, God placed them there. You see, we we live in America and America is all about free speech, right? And so people flaunt that all the time. And with that free speech, you know what, I'm going to bash every president and talk about what he's doing wrong and how I have such better ideas. You know, that's Miriam and Aaron. It's like, why is he president? I know more than him. I could figure this out. I could figure that out. And I'm just saying, don't go down that road. Don't don't just start talking like everyone else talks. And I, I'll confess, there have been times in my past when I haven't taken these passages seriously enough. And I've said some negative things about other officials. And, and, and it's like, you know what? i got to stop that. God placed them there. And I need to revere them. The best example, best example, I think, in Scripture is David. Do you remember the story of David and Saul? Saul was being a jerk. He just was being evil. He was trying to kill David. David did nothing wrong. Here Saul is, but he was the king. And he was doing everything wrong. And he was even out hunting down David, trying to kill him. Because he was jealous. Because David was doing such wonderful things that people were following him. And so out of jealousy and out of rage, Saul's hunting down David while David and his men are hiding in a cave when guess who walks in to relieve himself? Saul comes in to use the cave as his restroom. And so talk about being vulnerable. He's right there. David's right behind him. Saul has no clue. David's right there. And David's men are like, Look at that. The Lord just delivered you. You know, look, he just brought him right to you. Go ahead, do what you need to do. And does David strike down Saul? No. But what does he say? He, he says, First uh, Samuel 24, 6, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. He says, look, I'm not saying he's doing everything right, but I'm not going to dare lay hand on him. I'm not going to dare go against him because God placed him in that position. He's the Lord's anointed. Isn't that amazing? It, you compare David to Aaron, who's like, okay, yeah, stupid Cushite wife. You know, he just, he just would just go with the flow. You know what? You're going to gossip about him. I'll gossip him. Too. What are you, though? Who do you more resemble? The one that just, you know what, everyone's talking negative about this person, I'll join in, or I won't say a thing, I'll just kind of go with the flow. Or are you the person like David who says, well, hold on, you guys, I'll have no part of this. That's the Lord's anointed. That's the last person. I, I, look, i got a fear of God. I'm not going to speak negatively about that person because God put him in that position. He's going to use him for some reason. And so you're not going to catch me talking behind his back.
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs. Hello, listeners. This is Rhonda Walker of The Voice of the Martyrs. You know the word faithfulness? The dictionary meaning of faithfulness includes trustworthiness and steadfastness. The Bible also adds loyalty to the meaning of faithfulness, aside from simply being trustworthy and steadfast. That is to say that sincere belief includes loyalty to our Lord. God is faithful. God is trustworthy, unchanging, and always the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is worthy of our trust, our faith. His character is above all else, and we can be faithful to Him. I mean that we can be loyal to God. The world expresses this faithfulness as allegiance and considers keeping allegiances as something cool and honorable. Perhaps this is why movies or books that deal with allegiance or loyalty between men become popular. Allegiance is based on faithfulness between each individual. If one were not to keep their allegiance, they are treated as despicable, a less than honorable person. God is faithful to us, but can we say that we are faithful to the Lord? It is embarrassing how it isn't easy to answer that. But in the midst of quiet stillness, when we meditate on His faithfulness to us, we can begin to understand how God's faithful grace is a tremendous blessing to us. God's love to me isn't only present when I'm doing well, but also when I stumble and fall. He has always been faithful. God's love to me isn't based on my faithfulness, but it is based on His faithfulness. By experiencing His faithfulness, we can grow in our responsive faithfulness to Him as well. That is why it is important to meditate on and remember God's faithfulness. When we are faithful to Him, the world is no longer worthy of us. During the time a little more than a hundred years after the church was built, after Jesus' ascension, there was a person who defeated the world through faithfulness to the Lord. It was Polycarp the Bishop of the Church at Smyrna. Born in the year 69 AD in Smyrna, Polycarp learned about Jesus from his early childhood. He was eventually discipled by the Apostle John and later established as the Bishop of the Church at Smyrna. Polycarp was loyal to Christ and his entrusted mission until he was killed for his faith in 155 AD. The world could not handle his loyalty. Today, we will hear his story of how he was able to be so loyal. Three days ago, when I fell asleep during prayer, 
I had a dream. The pillow that I was sleeping on caught fire and was almost completely burnt. I knew what this meant. This dream was God's kindness in foretelling me that I would die by being burnt alive. And as the Lord has taught me, I am at my place of execution right now. But that Roman proconsul keeps on telling me strange things, that I need to be worried about my body, that I'm so old. He is one strange fellow. Shouldn't you be worrying about your soul instead of your body when you're so old? Hopefully that poor soul can also receive salvation in Jesus. That Roman proconsul keeps on saying strange things. He's telling me to deny and curse Jesus. He's telling me that he would spare my life if I would. He seems to be confused that he has such abilities. Why the Lord of my life is God himself. I think I need to share with that guy what I think. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blasphemy my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a while is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Come to the Lord. They are now tying me to a pillar to burn me alive. I guess it's time for my final prayer to my Lord on this earth. O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, powers in every creature, and of all the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit, may I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice, as you, the true God, have predestined, revealed to me, and now fulfilled. I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you, along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, the Eternal High Priest. To you with him, through the Holy Spirit, be glory both now and forever. Amen. Polycarp was thus martyred with such faithfulness to the Lord. What was the reason that he could keep his faithfulness? It was his reaction to the Lord's faithfulness to him. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38 and 39 Our God is faithful. He is faithful every time and in every circumstance. God's faithfulness is what makes us be able to be faithful to Him. Experience His faithfulness. Take refuge in His faithfulness. And as a reaction, be faithful to God. Because that is the reason the world is no longer worthy of us. This was the voice of the martyrs.
take your truth planted deep in us shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith speak O Lord and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory teach us Lord full of Christian is called to live a life as a witness. We are the messengers to this world who have experienced and met Him to relay what we have experienced to those who have not seen and heard about God. Because the disciples knew what the real truth was, they lived their lives as martyrs to go to the ends of the earth to spread the good news. Although there may be sufferings and persecutions, this is nothing in comparison to the everlasting glory that is to be revealed. But as time goes, 
it will not be easy for us to be as witnesses. The days are becoming more and more evil as we will face many persecutions. But the Bible tells us to fight this out to the very end because He knows our weaknesses even more than we do and He has promised the Holy Spirit to be with us. We know this road not taken yet will be hard, but as Christians, we have the obligation to live out as witnesses and messengers of Jesus, and Jesus is always with us to root for us and to guide us through it all. I'd like to take this time to cheer on everyone that is listening to this broadcast, and that whatever we may do, we may reveal the glory of God and to live as true witnesses of His name. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come and let your glory, come and let your glory fall. Our Father, who art in heaven, the rocks cry out of your Every morning